The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It is Thursday, February the 25th, 2010. It's, uh, well, it's almost the end of February. It's almost the end of, uh, it's almost the end of the Olympics. Um, wow, which is kind of stunning. It feels like they just sort of started. Uh, this is Jim Hedger from WebmasterRadio.fm, joined by Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO out there in British Columbia, where the Olympics are going on. Dave, how are you doing this fine morning? I am doing uh, just fantastic. Just fantastic. You know, uh, obviously we had a, we had a big win uh, in hockey last night, so, uh, and, and a fantastic day for, uh, for our medal count there yesterday. Um, so we're now, uh, you know, tied with, uh, with our friends uh, in the United States for a number of gold medals, and, uh, you know, obviously I, I, I've got a smile on my face. Absolutely. Uh, to, uh, to all of our Russian friends out there, on behalf of um, well, the entire nation of Canada, Destiana, thanks for, thanks for coming, thanks for playing. It was a great game last night. Um, sorry your team didn't show up. Trying to rehabilitate Team Canada in the eyes of our American audience because uh, you know losing to uh, losing to the United States earlier this week five to three was you know kind of humbling for Canada and humbling for Canadians. But you know beating the Ruskies always feels good. Yeah, well, and especially by by that kind of margin. So um, it's nice. We're going to have a chance to redeem ourselves um, and play in the gold medal match, which is uh, obviously going to be a, a very, very, very exciting game. Absolutely, I'm so looking forward to that. Um, There's a lot of stuff that happened in the um, in the tech world this week, and you know, interestingly, a lot of the stuff that happened in the tech world is relates to the topic of today's show, which is you know loosely based on privacy concerns in the internet, and. Uh, we have an interest. We have an interesting interview coming up towards uh, towards the middle of the show with Dr. N. Kavokian. She's the Information and Privacy Commissioner of the Province of Ontario, and um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be speaking to a number of privacy uh, commissioners, advocates, czars, and uh, we're really just going to try to suss out what the whole concept of privacy on the internet is. And you know, Dave, the, the weirdest thing is, the more you look into it, the wider this field opens. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting interested in, like, super interested in, in privacy and the implications on the internet um, back in the autumn when the federal governments, the, the the Canadian Commissioner of Information and Privacy, forced Facebook to change its international privacy policies because they violated the laws of uh, of of Canada. And um, I thought, wow, that's interesting. A small Canada's a relatively small country population-wise. There's 
only 36 million of us, yet our Information and Privacy Commissioner has enough um, mojo to make an organization the size of Facebook stand up and say, you know, the, you know, there are 11 times as many Facebook users as there are Canadians in the, in the whole world. <laughs> um, it's true. Now, at the same time, we do have to look at the influence, not just of our nation, but, but of any nation over an entity like, like Facebook. Um, if it violates our privacy, um, and we came in and, and basically said, well, it violates our laws, we've got to block it. Yes, that's going to impact us primarily. All of a sudden, I'm not going to have access to Facebook. But, of course, uh, much of the taunting that I received during, uh, during the last uh, hockey uh, game, for example, came from my American friends via Facebook. Um, now, if all of a sudden it violates our privacy laws and it blocks, it doesn't just affect me anymore. Now it affects Americans who have friends who are, who are in Canada. It affects uh, a lot more people. So I think um, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up where these smaller populations, like Canada, for example, which you know not a small population, but smaller, certainly in comparison, um, it can have significant impact um, because it's not just us being impacted by these things. If we have to pull out because it violates our laws, um, of course, that's going to cascade to other people who, who might be friends or, or share social networks with, uh, with these relatively smaller populations. Well, absolutely. And it cascades in a number of ways. Um, being, you know, being among uh, the original generations of SEO, Dave, as, as you know, um, there was three or four centers around North America where search engine optimization really, really got a toehold, and, and you, you just find this conflux of people practicing search engine optimization. This is back in the in the, the mid to late mid nineties. Um, one of them was Bend, Oregon, and another was Victoria, British Columbia. And you know, people often ask why so many crackerjack web marketers uh, came from Canada. And again, this is back in the day, because I wouldn't say it's the case anymore. And, you know, I said it was because we had access to broadband long before our American counterparts did. Yep. About five years before our American counterparts did. And um, that gave us a competitive advantage, a leg up. A, uh, a, 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 we were able to adopt the technology much earlier. As we're, same thing happens with social media. And if you know, um, our, our government, our Information and Privacy Commissioner, were to decide that a organization couldn't operate in Canada for whatever reason, that would um, that would seriously impact the uh, internet marketing world. And and we actually we see this happening in in mobile marketing, where you know Canadians have like abysmally awful data plans. Indeed, and I mean, you know what? There's there's also the the other side of it as well. I think that we haven't really touched on, which is it's just not going to look good for any country if Canada or, or for any um, not country rather um, any company if Canada has to stand up and say, by the way, you're violating our privacy law, so we're having to block you. So even just in a more direct way in the states, it's just not going to fly well if Canada has been blocked. Oh, why? Because you're violating our privacy. Laws. I don't think Facebook really wants to go into that kind of scrutiny by American legislators and, and maybe Americans who would look and go, why is it violating their privacy laws? Like, what is it in this that is violating their laws? And maybe we need to take a look at it. So I think it was a really, really good move on the part of Facebook to just react, react now, don't make more laws, you know, don't have, have American legislators looking at this going, ooh, maybe it should violate our laws too. 
um, you know, better to just nip it in the bud before the laws are, are required. But um, good move on their part. And, and uh, you know what? I'm glad we stood up. I'm glad somebody was reading the thing, stood up and went, this, this needs to be changed. Well, I'm going to go into a bit, a bit of a preamble I wrote for the show. And then I think we're going to have to go to break. But, um, you know, privacy is a double-edged word, especially when it comes to the Internet. On one hand, we as individuals are prompted, pushed, prodded, uh, to place as much personal information online as possible. The reasons for that are multifarious, ranging from the need to compete as a personal brand or as a personal part of a larger commercial brand, to the purely narcissistic, the false belief that one is more important than one really is. Applications such as Facebook and Twitter promote the personal in real time. Google and other search engines record everything in the present and the past and make that information available to whomever in the future. On the other hand, there are dark elements in society who prey on our increasing level of personal openness. There are many who make a living exploiting the personal information of others. While some of these people do so illegally, others, including insurance companies, investigators, law enforcement, and lawyers, pick pieces of personal information for profit or to, to get their jobs done legally. Earlier today, an email addressed foutwerned93 at gmail offered me 283,184 records legally called from the insurance files of mental health counselors. To be honest, I don't know how that works, but they said it was legally called. I don't totally believe them, but I do believe that there's a lot of private information in what I was offered. You know, and then there's the government. Without really acknowledging or, or even knowing it, Americans are the most monitored people on earth when it comes to internet usage. Mm-hmm. We're naturally and, and rightly freaked out by the idea of the Chinese government prying into our lives, onto our personal lives, or of, uh, say, Iran denying their citizens the right to use products the Iranian government can't control. But at the same time, we blithely, blithely ignore the full implications of the Bush-era Patriot Act, which gives U.S. security agencies the right to watch every bit of electronic communication that crosses any network based on U.S. territory, and because of the, how the Internet was constructed, that amounts to virtually everything. So what is privacy? What does it mean to us as citizens, to consumers, voters, and as netizens? According to uh, the Princeton WordNet Dictionary, which is like my favorite resource when, when you need to look up a new word, privacy means the quality of being secluded from the presence or view of others. It's further defined as the condition of being concealed or hidden, comes from the, uh, the, the root of it is a Latin word, pravos, which again means to be concealed or to be hidden, to be secluded. Um, now, I'm old enough to remember when personal privacy was a social virtue. One didn't speak publicly about a number of highly personal issues like religion, politics, personal health, or income. These subjects in polite society were really off limits. Somehow we managed to get by talking about the weather, the sports, movies and what's on television. So today and for the next few weeks in Webcology, we're going to talk about personal privacy on the internet. What does it mean really? What does it mean to you as a business? All of us as businesses have taken a lot of information that would be considered personally identifying information. What duty do we as internet businesses hold, um, either by law or you know just by ethics? And uh, what responsibility do we as internet business people or as internet consumers have around the issues of personal privacy? What does privacy mean to us today as the parameters surrounding personal privacy change so quickly? 
Dave and I are going to talk about some of our own biggest privacy concerns along with some of our own biggest privacy breaches. Today we're going to play a short interview I recorded on Tuesday with the Privacy and Information Commissioner of the Province of Ontario, Dr. Ann Kavokian. We're going to be talking about Google versus Italy. We're going to be talking about the Canadian Federal Information Privacy Officer versus Facebook. And we're going to talk about you versus your future. Now we're going to do all of that in a few minutes, but first we have to, uh, you know, sort of pay the bills that make all this possible. Friends, you're listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It's Thursday, February the 25th. And uh, this is Dave Davey. <laughs> this is Jim Hedger from WebmasterRadio.fm. <laughs> and I'm personally impersonating Dave Davey from Beefstock Inc. We'll be back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. AFCON 2010, the trade show that you know where affiliates always attend for free, makes its way to Denver, June 21st through 23rd. Register today at AFFCOM2010.com. AFCON 2010 is different from those other affiliate trade shows designed for the affiliate manager, where you can pay up to $1,500 just on a single registration. That's why AFCON 2010 offers you an alternative, a show that's free for affiliates, not to mention over 80% of our attendees are affiliates. AFCON 2010 brings you a wide range of sessions, essential for significant affiliate marketing achievement. Plus, we are proud to be working with Search Engine Strategies to present an additional day of all new search engine marketing sessions and tracks. Add unbeatable nighttime networking capped off by WebmasterRadio.fm's annual affiliate bash, and you have the complete affiliate trade show experience for free. Join the thousands in the affiliate marketing community that are making the switch to AFCON 2010, the trade show that's free for all affiliates. June 21st through 23rd in Denver. Register today at AFFCOM2010.com. That's AFFCOM2010.com. Blogger. Look at how the magic blogger emulsifies those comments. Look at how it takes that thread and breaks it down. You'll never try anything better than Magic Blogger. WebmasterRadio.fm can do more with 30 minutes than any late night infomercial. Introducing Down Hall Meetings, a platform that you can use to your advantage to promote your product or services any way you want. Find out how you can convey your message in a format that's real, factual, and honest in your own custom-made 30-minute monthly program. Contact sales at webmasterradio.fm to find out more. Welcome to the home of the latest search marketing news and views of the world. Welcome to the state of search. Boss Bondenbeld and Roy Hoiske sculpt the entire search marketing space from Berlin to Bucharest, London to Lisbon, the Silicon Valley, and beyond. 
Search marketers from around the world discuss the latest headlines and issues in search engine marketing, social media, and more. State of Search, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the International Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. So, hey, Dave. Uh, did you know that today is uh, Allison Portman Clark's birthday and that tomorrow is Dan S. Robbins' birthday and that on Saturday it's Curtis R. Curtis's birthday and that yesterday Mona Elisaley was watching the Canada versus Russia game with a cool crew in an office boardroom, and that you're really proud that Canadians just aren't good at coming second or third. <laughs> See, I know all this just by opening a lot of face- information you have, Jim. Wherever did you get it from? It's amazing. I, I get it from the purest source possible. I get it from Facebook, and at Facebook, um, I also let people know that I'm male that I'm currently in Vancouver, B.C., which is a lie. I give them my birthday, um, my political views as rational, my religious views as Leaf fan, um, lots of contact information, and, you know, pretty much everything you need to make a profile. Yep. Oh, my goodness. I'm even letting people know where I work, the name of my personal business and where I have worked. You know, if you really want to put your mind to it, by looking at my profile, by noticing my uh, my appeal to people to uh, go to the food bank or to, to donate to the food bank, you could probably come off as a pretty convincing gym if you tried hard enough. <laughs> yes, you, you probably could. Um... Similarly, you could probably come off as a good Bill Gates if you really wanted to. Um, you know, I'm, I, 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 I see where you're going, and, and I know you're a, you're a huge privacy advocate. Um, I think there's there's certain levels of, of privacy that, that we are all we're all owed. Um, but I mean, in, in these cases, and I'm sure you agree too, you didn't have to put it in there, right? Well, that's exactly <laughs> the point I'm trying to, to make. I didn't have to put it here. I, I'm very concerned about personal privacy. Again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a 41-year-old guy, so I'm old enough to remember a time before the Internet when uh, we were very guarded about our personal information. Yeah. And I'm looking at my own Facebook profile right now going, I can't believe I did this, that I gave out this much information. And it's not like I can redact it now because that information has been picked up by Google. That information has been picked up by several in, by several search engines and, and several other services that monitor names that get searched for. And I guess you and I are, are, are both names that get searched for. Um, I, see, I see my profile come up frequently from, from several different services. And as a marketer, I greatly appreciate that you and many people like you and me give this kind of information and, and, and create the kind of advertising opportunities <laughs> that, uh, and, and targeting that this kind of information um, provides. And in a weird way, I actually prefer the advertising the marketers can feed to me because I'm willing to release this kind of information because when I go to Facebook, the advertising I get 
It's for stuff I'm interested in. I go there, I see advertisements for Arrested Development t-shirts. Why? Because they know I like Arrested Development. So does the rest of the world, and I guess all of our listeners now know I like it. But um, you know, we have to look at, rather than just a, an immediate, and I'm sure you agree, rather than just an immediate fear of, gee, there's all this, all this privacy issues out there. And I mean, you know, The phone books existed for, for, for many, many years, decades. Um, so we've always been willing to release certain amounts of information about ourselves. We've certainly opened up the door and started providing more information about ourselves. Um, but it comes down to us protecting what is truly important to us. Um, and to me, it's, it's sort of the debate on what would I wear while I'm standing in front of the window. It's my job to make sure that if my window is open, I don't walk through my house naked. Um, you know, and, and this sort of thing. So it's up to me to protect my own privacy. I don't mind people looking in my window, but I don't want them drawing the blinds on me. So, um, you know, this is, this is you know, basically it's, it's our responsibility. If you're uncomfortable with that information being out there, you know, you, it's your job to make sure that info isn't, isn't out there. Well, again, um, for, for, for people like, like you and I and, you know, whose names are... Um, albeit in, in a micro-community, well-known, it's kind of useless trying to protect your personal information because, let's face it, in one way or another, it's out there. Right. Um, in every bio, uh, every speaker's bio or every author's bio of mine, it you know gives my location and my occupation, and the yep. rest is fairly easy to fill in after that. Um, what worries me most about these, about privacy implications of, of social networking is people who aren't as internet savvy as you or I, like, like, like pretty much everybody. Um, and I'm not even sure if I'm worried about that. I think, I guess what I'm more worried about is the overall change in culture that happens when there is no more personal space, when everything is... Um, is so out there. It's 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 it, 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 it's kind of like the world has become a very large, small town with all the good that goes with it. Everyone knowing you means things are a little bit easier for you, and your you you know your time isn't wasted with stuff you're not interested in. But at the same time, there's a, a homogeneous culture that comes in in small towns where everyone really just to fit in the the uh, le- the level of conformity is. Uh, staggering. There's not a lot of diversity because diversity gets, well, is often mistrusted. And so my worry, again, is uh, the homogenizing effect of everyone struggling to essentially be the same. And not, not well, right. so and I, mean, I think you do touch on an interesting point. I didn't know that our, uh, our conversation was going to head in, in this route. Um, but it is exactly what you're talking about and how in a small town, the sharing of, of this information, to use your, your example there, in a small town, the sharing of this kind of information and that you know this kind of information about your neighbor is a little different because you are all geographically similar. You're all as you say, homogenous, um, whereas to try and put that same sort of information about each other onto a global scale where, um, you know, there, there is the risk of us becoming more homogenous, but if the, the fact of the matter is right now we're not, and you're ending up with, and, and I'm sure you've seen the, the rants going on and the, and, the, and, the, and the bigotry that exists and specific threads and this and that, where um, because we don't have a commonly accepted series of practices and there is some anonymity 
uh, involved with the Internet. It's still at this point, although we're discussing privacy and, and the lacking or, or the, the reduction in anonymity. Uh, we do end up in a scenario where because we are a little less homogenous, because we're dealing on a global scale um, with different cultures all being involved, um, we can almost end up with, with problems because we're sharing the kind of information that we would normally share in a smaller environment with people that we know that we can look at in the face. And now we're sharing that information on a global scale with people who don't share our cultures, don't share our religious, political beliefs. We're talking about things that we wouldn't normally talk about because, well, it's anonymous, right? I'm just sitting in my living room by myself at 1 o'clock in the morning, right? You know, doing my Facebook profile. Um, so I do think we're ending up into, into some of those problems, and I do think that um, what you were touching on earlier is also correct. You and I, and, and I'm sure many of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, are among the more you know, probably aware um, of what's going on, what we're sharing, and what can be done. And, and even you know, earlier in this show, you were talking about how you're a little surprised, and I'm sure I would be too if I really looked at my profiles, all my social media profiles, and went, really? When did I choose to share that and why? Um, but, and, and we're the more aware, and I, I think maybe what you're touching on there and a valid point is there are people like my dad who have these profiles who may not be as aware of what they're entering. If they really stopped and thought about it, I'm sure an intelligent person will go, do I really want to share that? But they're doing it without understanding that Google is searching. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, well, it means that their algorithms are doing this and this and this. Do I really want their algorithms doing this and this and this? Um, you know, oh, uh, you know, my Facebook pro, I'm not really just sharing that with these people that I want to. I'm also sharing it with these people that are just, you know, miscellaneous people. So, um, you know, maybe a little more education is, is, is in play, but is it the responsibility of the social networks to provide that education and provide all those warnings, or is it almost our job as, as, as the people who do understand, and is it the job of the people who are joining social networks to educate them, themselves, and is it our job to help them get that information so that they're educated? I think that's something we'll be discussing over the next, or over the coming weeks while we discuss privacy. Absolutely. I mean, that, 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 that made me think of the question, is it the publisher's job to... Uh well, to help readers learn to read critically. Hell, is it the publisher's job to help readers learn to read? Um, no, it's just an essential skill that one needs to truly appreciate literature, to truly appreciate what they see in the news. It's the ability to do, you know, some hardcore critical thinking. The Webmaster Radio crew has been uh, going all guns blazing for the last three weeks, organizing AFCON Denver 2010. You know, we've been we've been doing the affiliate marketing conventions over the last uh, over the last year. Uh, one in Denver, one in Los Angeles in 2009, where affiliates always get in for free. And so I have instant messages popping up from a number of potential speakers, and they just keep coming one every couple of seconds. Usually, when I'm looking over to see what you or Brasco are are trying to write to me. <laughs> um, Oh, so that's just a little bit of a behind-the-scenes at webmasterradio.fm for you, friends. Uh, it's, uh, the information comes, comes into us hot and heavy, and it's just a constant flow. But back to what I was trying to say, Dave, a couple of weeks ago, I had a really interesting, totally random, totally chance encounter with a fascinating, fascinating person, Dr. Ann Kavokian the Information and Privacy Commissioner for the Province of Ontario. Now, the Province of Ontario has about 12 million people living in it. And unlike American states, Canadian provinces are, well, extraordinarily 
powerful political entities. They control everything from education to health to social service provision. Legally, the province, also the, the, uh, a provincial government, controls municipal governments through the, through the municipalities acts, although each municipal government is its, its own entity. Ultimately, each of them have to answer to the province. So the Office of Information and Privacy Commissioner in a Canadian province is a, well, it's a job that requires you be on top of government ministries that have really the reach and, uh, and, and information scope of a national government or a mega corporation. Um, in Canada, we have government-run health care which means the government keeps health files on every individual. Mm -hmm. Now, they keep them tight, secure, lock and key. And we have someone um, mandated in every province as the basically the privacy czar, the Information and Privacy Commissioner. Now, a little bit about uh, Dr. Kavokian. As the Information and Privacy Officer of the province of Ontario, she works independently of the provincial government her office oversees how, the pro how provincial agencies deal with all services, health, education, etc. How they deal with, with the personal information they bring in. Unlike other privacy advocates, Dr. Kavokian tends towards the belief that privacy and technology are not mutually exclusive. She's, she's the author of a 400-page report called Privacy by Design, and she's also, well, she also, I guess, coined the phrase Privacy by Design. Now, on Tuesday, I was able to get a 15-minute interview with Dr. Gavokian, and um, I think Brasco has that queued up right about now, so I think we're just going to go straight into that interview, then we're going to come back and then go to break. So, Brasco, if we could just, I guess, jump into that interview. Dr. Kavukian, could you please define the mandate of an Information and Privacy Commission, um, especially, especially one like Ontario's? Well, we serve as uh, an independent oversight agency to enforce compliance with privacy and access to information laws. So why do you need an independent oversight agency, someone who's independent of government? Often I'm required to um, conduct an investigation, for example. The public can lodge complaints with my office that we investigate relating to uh, infractions of their personal information that the government is misusing or miscollecting information. And if I have to do an investigation, and if I have findings that might require me to criticize the government if they're in breach of the legislation, you want to have that independence uh, so that you are in a position to freely uh, find uh, whatever is the appropriate uh, disposition of the case and not, be, not fear, uh, be fearful of reprisal from the government, for example. So I'm an officer of the legislature, and that gives me the arm's length relationship from the government of the day to conduct proper investigations and ensure that the privacy laws and access to information laws are properly upheld. Now, I think most of our listeners will rightly assume that government has a great deal of information on them, both privately and, or as private people and as professionals. Um, how often does government transgress privacy laws? Well, actually, I think uh, the, the government here in Ontario does a very good job. Uh, we have a, a very good track record. Now, bear in mind, we've had this law in place since 88. Uh, 
So it's been around a long time, and the government is, you know, early days, it takes a little bit of getting adjusted. Um, the government is accustomed to uh, having proper training for their staff, and they uh, have very proper collection, use, and disclosure practices. We also engage in training exercises annually with them. We regularly work with them um, so that they are feel comfortable to consult with us. Having said that, there, you know, every year there are infractions. A lot of the times, they, it can be uh, arise out of neglect, uh, or it can just arise out of you know sometimes human error. Things get lost. Contained in that information is sometimes identifiable personal information, which should have been, for example, encrypted, but it wasn't. So things happen. I don't want to suggest otherwise, but we have a very good record in Ontario. Most. Computer users um, have enjoyed a, a great deal of freedom um, creating and manipulating media, but at the same time, we all sense that we're losing our, our, our own sense of privacy. Are, do we have less privacy today? And if so, um, why? I, I want to dispute that, that, that feeling because I know it's um, shared by many people these days, and I want to challenge it because I don't believe we have less privacy. You can choose to give away your privacy. That's a distinction we have to make. So if you choose to go on an online social network and not engage the privacy controls that are there for your using, for your use, then that's your own. You're giving away your own privacy. So um, there's been a lot of uh, discussion in the media lately with Facebook and other social networks that um, because of the enormous popularity, for example, of Facebook, 400 million users worldwide, that that translates to, well, people uh, don't care about their privacy. Sure, people still care about their privacy. You can have competing interests, and that is the nature of the human condition. Um, I'm a psychologist. That's what I was in my former life. And I always talk about humans being social animals. We have the desire to connect. It's extremely strong. And online social networks make it very easy to connect. So it doesn't surprise me in the least that they have gained such popularity. But at the same time, you can also have, at the exact same time, an intense desire for privacy. It depends on the context, on that realm of your life that you're talking about. So it doesn't mean that one negates the other. It always amazes me that people think that because you like to be social, you don't, you're not interested in privacy. That's a zero-sum uh, model of thinking. The more you can have one interest, you must have less of the other. It's dead wrong. I always say think positive sum, not zero-sum. And by that, I simply mean you can have multiple interests that are doubly enabling that can both coexist in the same space. And that's the case with social networks and privacy. People want and can have both. You just have to exercise some control when you go on the online social network and think before you post. So first you have to think, this information that I'm putting out there, do I want everyone to have access to it or a restricted group of friends or just, you know, you have to turn your mind to it. So I just want to challenge the view that we have less privacy. You have as much privacy as you want, but you have to take some active steps to ensure that your privacy is protected. You've been thinking about privacy and technology for at least a decade and a half. Back in 1995, you promoted <laughs> privacy-enhancing technologies while working with the Data Protection Authority of the Netherlands. Yes. Now, yes. I think you might, have, you might have even coined that phrase. Um, what well, yeah, does, go on, sorry. No, well, I'm, just, I'm curious. What are privacy-enhancing technologies? 
They are some of the things that you would expect and sometimes things you wouldn't expect. So, for example, technologies of privacy include things like encryption. You use encryption, which is basically um, coding information so that information doesn't travel in plain text. It travels in ciphertext, which means that it's, it's protected. And unless you've got the decryption key, you're going to get you know, a mishmash of gobbledygook if, if you access it in an unauthorized way. So that's why I would say privacy and security go hand in hand. Encryption is a key tool in both areas. At a lower level, passwords um, are, uh, could be characterized as a privacy enhancing technology, but it depends on the strength of the password. Of course, you can have very weak ones that many people can guess, or you can have extremely strong passwords. One of my favorites, I just have to tell your, your people, is because it's so easy, and yet it's very difficult because it will, um, it will withstand a dictionary attack. Pick the same word in two languages that you are familiar with. Now, I happen to be Armenian, so it's easy for me <laughs> to pick the same word in English and Armenian and throw in a number or a couple of characters in between, and you'll have a very strong password that will be meaningful to you, but extremely difficult to to break. So privacy-enhancing technologies are things that make it more difficult to access your personal information in an unauthorized manner. That's at their heart what they are, and they often employ these tools of encryption and other security measures. But, you know, the best measure um, of protection of, for privacy is the practice of data minimization. And data minimization simply means don't minimize the amount of data that you collect and use in personally identifiable form. So once your information is out there with your personal identifiers attached to it, your name, your social insurance number, a driver's license, a credit card number, even though that information can be strongly encrypted and protected, nonetheless, it can still be subject to hacking and, and other forms of breaking the code. So. Once your information is collected in identifiable form, it is potentially subject to certain risks. So we always say the first first level of protection is data minimization. Um, this is, I think, my last question for you. Again, I realize that you have a very busy day today. Oh, um, no problem. What do you see as the greatest personal threats to individuals stemming from a loss of privacy? The one that I'm most familiar with is identity theft. Identity theft is very real, is the fastest growing form of consumer fraud in North America. And it is insidious because people assume your identity and, for example, a simple example is they steal your credit card number and they'll start racking up charges against your credit card. And you may not even notice it for a statement or two. And then you will be called upon to... Uh, either pay the amount, which you won't pay because it's not you didn't rack up those charges, or defend yourself. The biggest problem, apart from the identity theft and the um, actions that have been taken allegedly in your name, which you did not engage in, is then fixing the problem, is restoring your good name and your good credit rating. So what I always tell people, if you are unfortunately the victim of identity theft, the first thing you should do is call the police and file an occurrence report. Because what that does is it makes it real that this, you're, if you're calling the police, it's quite likely that this is a real occurrence and not something that you're making up. Because unless you do that, when you go back to the credit card companies, for example, and say, I didn't rack up these charges, well, how do they know you didn't rack up these charges? It's hard to prove that. But armed with an occurrence report from the police, then you can easily 
um, you know, demonstrate that this is a legitimate case. You've been victimized, and they will take appropriate action. They'll put a credit freeze on your card and other uh, credit accounts, and they'll take the appropriate measures. So I think that's probably the most um, the, the the most immediate and the largest example. But I think. The, the biggest concern I have going forward, and I see this with a lot of younger people, but it's not unique to younger people, is a, a cyberbullying. A lot of people uh, go online and they engage in bullying activities, uh, often with children and younger kids, teens. That's very, very hurtful. But this kind of uh, stalking behavior is not restricted to younger people. I've seen it with with um, People, you know, adults who are attacked maliciously by people who hide behind anonymity, and they're just lashing out in in a, in a very very frightening way. So I fear that the online activities sometimes engage in can be very harmful. And one final thing in terms of of privacy, and this is just a. A, a final thought uh, for people who both collect information, businesses, governments, and people who give their information out. I always encourage people to think of privacy and security or privacy and business functionality in what I call a positive sum and not a zero-sum manner. In the past, especially post-9-11, people thought, well, to enhance security, we have to restrict privacy. We have to, you know, of course we we need public safety and security, and if it comes at the expense of privacy, so be it. So there was always a trade-off. It was always privacy versus security. And nothing is worse for privacy because invariably, when pitted against something, you know, vitally important, public safety and security, privacy always takes a hit. We end up losing. It's always at the expense of privacy. That is unacceptable to me and to most people. And it is it's unnecessary. You can have both privacy and security in a doubly enabling, what I call positive sum paradigm, that allows both interests to grow and, in fact, enhances the overall level of protection. If you go to our website, we have a lot of information on that. Um, so if you want to even just go to www.privacybydesign.ca, Privacy by Design is uh, embeds this notion of positive sum functionality and tries to embed privacy protective um, measures into the design of all information technology and business practices and infrastructure. So I well, think I've uh, gone on far too long. <laughs> Dr. Kavoki, I'm very glad you mentioned Privacy by Design. Actually, I happen to have a copy of the report in my hand right now, oh, and I was, about to mention, I was about to mention it myself. And... Um, Suggest to our readers if you're if you're designing websites, if you're building technologies, if you're working for a company that's taking personal information, read yeah. this report. Oh, Privacybydesign.ca. It was issued by the Information Privacy Commissioner of Ontario. Uh, we've just been speaking with her, Dr. Um, Anne Kavokian. Um, Dr. Kavokian, thank you so much for spending time with us on Webcology today. Okay, my pleasure. All the best. And there you have it, folks. That was Dr. Ann Kavoki, an Information and Privacy Officer of the Province of Ontario. Unfortunately, we didn't have as much time with her as we wanted, but but being the good little wannabe journalists that we are, we're going to be going after the Federal <coughs> Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner, the same one who uh, made Facebook change their policies and the same one who issued a warning to Google over Google Buzz last week, um, along with the uh, 
almost, well, the statement, you should have consulted my office first, which I found kind of funny. Um, so we're going to be going after Jennifer Stoddard's office next week. Um, don't know if we're going to get them or not. We have the, we have the information requested now. Um, I guess the biggest point she made was the fear of ID theft, Dave. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I think that's what a lot of us consider. And I think you were almost alluding to that earlier as, as a concern with all of this information out there. It'd be easy to impersonate um, somebody. Um, at the same time, you know, we get into, and I'm glad we're having this series of shows, because you get into that debate, and we touched on it earlier, of whose responsibility is that? Um, you know, if, if I'm walking through my living room and I'm not wearing anything, it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm protecting myself <laughs> and, and that I can't, I'm not visible to the outside world. So is it the job of Facebook or, or, or other social networks to protect me and make sure that this information doesn't go public? Or when I'm going, well, I don't really want the world to know my birthday and it's asking me for my birthday, is it my job to, to, to put it in there? And I know, I um, can't remember who it was, but I know a few months ago we were having an interview with somebody talking about advertising on Facebook and why it is so successful. The reason being people are, are more honest with Facebook and, and, and similar social media networks than anywhere else because there are certain advantages to it. You can find your high school friends because you declare your high school. You can find people who like the same shows as you because you talk about your favorite shows and interests. Um, so we as the population have to weigh off what is worth it, and I try and remember to do that, and I don't think there's anything on social networks. It probably doesn't exist in some bio of me somewhere other than the useless stuff like, you know, what high school I went to or something like that, but um, you do get into some interesting things, as, as we were hearing in that interview, where, right, there may be side effects that one may not predict. I mean, obviously, the, the less scrupulous um, human beings on the planet can take this information that may be seemingly inert. Um, and I go, well, I don't want people to, you know, know, you know how old I am necessarily, but, you know, I'm willing to do it and exchange that to, to find, meet up with some old friends from high school. Um, oh, indeed, and, and, indeed. You know, now, you, you I, want, I want to touch on some of this stuff really badly, but we, we are so far over time for a break. We're going to take a quick break here on Webcology, come back, have a quick two or three minute conversation about the trade-offs in uh, social media, and uh, work to set up next, next week's show. But, I mean, seriously, we're late for break, so we're going there right now. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. <sighs> what is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Well, sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOfox.com. What's that? You can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOfox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOfox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEOfox link building report. <laughs> Sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at seofox.com. That's seofox.com. 
Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know they're SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, Wide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Please hold while we connect you to one of the most sought-after experts in SEO, analytics, and web development. Office Hours with Vanessa Fox, Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Okay, we're back for a, well, a fairly short segment here on Webcology. We have about <laughs> seven minutes left. Um, and that just sort of happens. Uh, yeah, we get so excited doing this show. It's so much fun talking to you all. Um, uh, you know, it's really hard, Dave. I mean, I think about the information I give away on Twitter and on uh, Facebook and such, and I kind of need to. It's my job. My literally, I'm as a small business owner, as a announcer for Webmaster Radio, and as a web marketer. I'm a brand, whether I like it or not, whether I want to be or not. A reluctant brand, perhaps, but a brand nevertheless. And brands must be represented on the web, or in these days, those brands die. Indeed. And I mean, you know what, we had, and the same thing that we're always talking about, and I think we'll probably be reinforcing it over the weeks as we're talking about this, is it's about trade-off. Um, right? I mean, it, you and I generate our revenue from our presence on the Internet. And so, um, you know, of course, there is a certain amount of information that we're going to have to provide. And as you point out, people can look at our bios from, from speaking events or, you know, listen to the radio show or see our bios on Webmaster Radio. They're going to find out certain things of information. They know that we both own websites. You know, look at my who is data. Okay, you've li- just learned something else about me, right? Um, you know, age of the company, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, you, you can't stop what is that the fact that you are going to be an internet present, I think what everybody needs to ask themselves is how far do they want to go with that? What are they willing to put out there? Um, I'm probably more comfortable putting out uh, information that a lot of people wouldn't, again, because of what you touched on. There's already a lot of information um, about you know you or me out there. We've become you know, more acclimatized and more comfortable with what type of information we're willing to share and what type we aren't willing to share. Um, you know, I think I'm more comfortable with information being out there than, say, my father is, um, because he's not as acclimatized to, to, to the environment that he's in. So, um, at the same time, it's people like my father who may be more prone to, oh, it's all, you know, private, just to my friends, right, who, who may get stuck into that trap. So, I think there's a lot that we need to, to educate on, and I think, uh, you know, we're going to spend the next few weeks discussing the pitfalls, how you can protect yourself, and, and, and how to make those decisions about what you're willing to share publicly. 
You know what happened uh, about a year ago at this time? Really funny. This is I, I loved it. Um, my nephew opened a Facebook account. He's uh, 13 years old, 14 years old. Yeah. And uh, so uh, my nephew, uh, I'm not, not going to use his first name, although people, very, uh, very, very, very smart people can easily find out through my Facebook account. So my 14-year-old nephew opened, he's, he's a bad boy, huh? He's a little, he's, he's becoming a little bad boy. And so he opens this Facebook account where, without him necessarily realizing it, Uncle Jimmy is uh, monitoring it big time. Because, well, that nephew is the kid of my, of, you know, one of my siblings. So I'm, I feel kind of responsible for him. Hey, he's, you know, he's, he's my nephew. And so I'm watching, I'm watching what he's posting up here. And I'm making these little comments, partially to say, hey, you know, kid, be cool. And the other part is to let him know, you're being monitored, my friend. Indeed, indeed. And I mean, you know, now we'll get into it, and we'll probably have a whole show on, on that aspect of things, and I can certainly speak from experience on um, what different privacy issues do we have when you've got children, right? And I mean, of course, there's, there's a number of tangents you can go on down there, but I think what you're talking about there is, is protecting, actually monitoring what your children are doing and being aware of what your children are doing, um, you know, and the responsibilities is that puts on us as parents because you want your kids to be aware of the, the world around them. You want them to be in touch with, with the technology around them because it's going to be necessary as they, as they move forward. But at the same time, there's, there's obviously some new, new risks associated with that. So um, well, you know, yeah, I have like, a feeling like we'll have whole shows on that one as well. Ass uncle embarrass you every chance he gets. Yeah. <laughs> Just make their own life experience so miserable for them. They'll leave and go back to baseball. Uh, oh, what are, we, are we talking about the Americans again? I was going back to baseball. Um, sorry? <laughs> you know, all I can think baseball, Blue Jays, and i got to go back in my brain about 20 years to, to when the Blue Jays actually won, but there we are. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's probably a good segue into us probably closing the showdown. I don't... We're going to take the gold medal in hockey. I just want to get that out here right now because that's going to happen before the next uh, Webcology episode. And if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I will publicly eat, uh, I don't know, something like close to crow, maybe a Subway sandwich or something on the radio. Um, You're not getting an endorsement deal from Subway right now, by the way. Um, no! All right, so you're going to take us out there, Jim Bot? Huh? You're going to take us out? I think Brasco's probably going, come on, guys. Okay, before taking us out, I want to remind people that AFCON 2010, the affiliate marketing convention where affiliate marketers get to attend for free, is coming up June 21st to 23rd in Denver, Colorado at the fabulous Colorado Convention Center. Go to AFCON2010.com. That's AFCON2010.com. If you're an affiliate, you get in free. Register now, my friends, because those spaces are going to fill up awfully quick. Um... I also want to remind people that coming up right after us is Affiliate Marketing Insider and that you can listen to Webcology every Thursday live at 2 p.m. here at webmasterradio.fm. That's 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, or at iTunes on iTunes Radio or any other fine podcast distribution network out there, friends. You've been listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. On behalf of Dave Davis from Beanstalk SEO, this is Jim Hedger from webmasterradio.fm wishing you a safe, happy, and prosperous week. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>